0: Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20 as we continue our study. I don't really like Luke's sense of humor to give me this uh, subject on Thanksgiving. Uh, He thinks he's funny. He takes 12 chapters like last week and uh, he preaches them. It just shows how shallow he is really as a person. Um, We're going to look at just five verses tonight, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Some of you may remember the close of the ceremonies of the Olympics in 2012. It was in London that year. And in the closing ceremony, uh, a children's choir sang John Lennon's Imagine. And while they were singing, they were assembling this huge uh, image of Lennon. I almost thought that uh, the whole crowd was going to bow down and worship. It's interesting to me that the popularity of that psalm, because the lyrics... Um, are about imagining a world where there's no heaven and no hell, and we just live for the day. A guy by the name of Trevin Wax uh, wrote in uh, Christianity Today about that, and he, he he wrote about how interesting it is that no, not only does the world have it trouble dealing with a place called hell, but even many believers do as well. It's something that they... Don't seem to want to talk about or admit. And he gives four reasons for that from his perspective. He said, one is we, did, we don't want to be offensive. So we'll just keep hell ever out of any conversation that that is a possible destination for some people. Another reason is we feel guilty about our own failure to evangelize. Um, we know real people in our families and friends or neighbors or uh, uh, fellow students people around us, and their destination is one, one of two places, and if we're not involved in helping them be rescued from a place called hell, from judgment, then we there is a guilt that comes and should, a right guilt. Also, he said, we've been mostly shielded from so many world atrocities that call for judgment, um, when we see things up close, like the killing fields of Cambodia, or Auschwitz, or the Gulags, or uh, the Rwandan uh, genocide, if we have front row seats, we cry out for justice and for judgment. We're spared a lot of those things. Also, we also open the door for judgment against our own sins to be addressed, and that's difficult because we realize how undeserving we are of heaven and what we really do deserve, because we can see the rebellious parts of our lives and how we failed God, and so judgment is a little uncomfortable. It's quite ironic to me that in this generation, one of the cries that we hear all the time has to do with social justice, social justice. We read about it, a lot is talked about, and yet, at the same time, there's a dismissal of the one who is the supreme court judge of the universe who is flawless in exercising justice, but we want to dismiss him. In the face of intense persecution that was intensifying in the first century, God shows John the Apostle a picture of heaven, a vision of heaven, to encourage him and all the other believers who are struggling with persecution. He wants them to know it's going to be worth it. And he wants them to never fail to remember that Christ is king and victory is coming. So persevere. Don't give up. It's the same message for us even today. Here's our text. Um, chapter, Chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the de- and death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown to the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, these kind of verses can evoke certainly fear and trembling. But I love how Luke prompted us at the beginning. There's no greater cause for thanksgiving than also deliberating on this text and what is for those who are found in Jesus Christ. And I trust you will celebrate that and be so thankful for this this week. Let's start with the setting. Nearly 50 times in the book of Revelation, we have this word throne used. It is a throne somewhere in the uncreated universe because the universe at this time is is dissolved. Peter tells us that all the elements are going to be destroyed with fire, and it's just before God creates a new heaven and a new earth. So somewhere in the nothingness of this particular setting, this scene in the unseen realm, there is Christ's throne, a throne of judgment set up. It's called a great throne, not because of its size, but because of its significance, its salvation, its authority, its majesty, its power, its comprehensive judgment. It is white due to the holiness and the righteousness and the purity of the one who sits on the throne. It is the throne of majesty unlimited. It is the throne of sovereignty unchallenged. It is the final judgment seat for the judge of all the earth. It is dazzling. It is blinding. It is blazing. It is pure. It is holy. It is divine. It is the throne of the presence of Christ. He sits there in utter, absolute judgment. Perhaps the psalmist had a glimpse of this when he wrote in Psalm 9, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. Certainly, It was a glimpse of what Daniel saw as well. He records it in Daniel chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. And, all, and the books were opened. The weighty immensity of this throne is really incomprehensible to, to those of us who are trying to fathom the glory of the one who is sitting on it. And who is that sitting on the throne? Well, let me tell you first who it's not it's not you. We all have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are not good self-judges. We will always get ourselves off the hook. And let me tell you who else is not on the throne. Your best friends who would give you a good reference when you apply for a job. They're not on the throne. Anybody has somebody that's going to speak well of them. Uh, Who else is not on your throne? Your dad is not on your throne. Certainly, your mother is not on the throne. Now, our mothers love to speak well of us, their kids. My family abuses me because they say my life was like everybody loves Raymond. That my mother looked at me and she could hardly find any fault in me because certainly she wasn't looking closely enough or she just looked the other way. Her name was even Marie, just like Raymond's mother, you know. You know, mothers think the very best of their kids. They hate to see their foibles. Your mother is not going to be on the throne. No, you are certainly not going to be the throne. Nobody who thinks the highest of you is going to be on that throne. Only one is worthy to be there. An armed robber by the name of Dennis Curtis was arrested in 1992 in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And when the, when the police uh, took his possessions, they found in his wallet a list of standards for his robberies, eight of them. One, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Two, I will take cash and food stamps, not checks. Number three, I will rob only at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Uh, number five, I will not rob many marts or 7-Elevens. Uh, Six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I'll get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians uh, on, on the line. Number seven, I will rob only seven months out of the year. Number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, this Curtis guy, he had a standard of morality written by himself to follow and to live by. In fact, to to rob by. But it was a flawed standard. Your standard and my standard is always going to be flawed. It's going to always be bent. We're always going to grade ourselves on the curve. That's just what we do as human beings. When when Curtis stood before the court, he was not judged by his own standards. He was judged by the standards of the state. Likewise, when we stand before God, we are not judged according to what we think or anybody else thinks of us we are we are judged by the standard of a holy god this judge that's on the throne actually is jesus christ jesus said in john 5:22 the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son so he's the final judge himself The Bible says that when Christ comes back, every every knee will bow because every eye is going to see him and confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, everybody's going to say that, but only those of us who have had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ are going to go on to our eternal home. And those who for the first time are saying that will go on to their condemnation. Consider with me what a great day that will be when you're in Christ. And see the glory of his return. It's gonna be fabulous. You don't wanna miss this day. We all, every person, has a date with deity. And we need to be ready. Well, note the defendants. God says in verse 12, "Um, I saw the dead, great and small. Now, it doesn't matter what status you have here on earth, it all fades, it all blends before the Lord. Who will be at that throne? Well, lots of people. Out-and-out sinners are going to be there. The people who have abused the cross, the people who have laughed at people of faith like us, who believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose on the third day, they're going to be there. There They're going to be people who have mocked God, who have taken his name in vain, who took no thought of their soul. They're going to be there. People who have hated churches, who have... um, blasted us in different ways. They're going to be there. They're going to see this. Self-righteous people are going to be there. People who thought uh, a little bit of God would do them better, they weren't necessarily desperate to be there because they thought their good works were good enough for them to be accepted by God. They were nice enough people, kind enough people. they did done enough good deeds. They'll be there. Procrastinators are going to be there. People who weren't against God, they weren't against Jesus Christ. They believed that he died on the cross, and and they believed that that one day they probably would get their act together, but never quite got around to it, never really surrendered their lives. They're going to be there. And by the way, let me remind you what the Bible says. The Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Proverbs 29 says, whoever remains stiff-necked, after many rebukes, will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. My friends, today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. We don't look for a more convenient time or when we feel like we're ready. You know, we have to, we have, we have to make a decision about Jesus, and we have to help other people make that decision. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens by conversations with people about spiritual realities. It's about sharing our testimony and our conviction of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's the good news, and we love to talk about it and share it with other people. But you know who else is going to be there? You and me. Now, there are a lot of different opinions about that, let me tell you. You're hard-pressed to find anybody who thinks you and I are going to be there. Most people make a stand that this is for the judgment of those who never came to Christ in this earth experience. The problem with that, from my perspective, is there are a whole lot of verses you have to explain away for us not to be at the scene. Uh, now, now the, the argument that other people use that we won't be there comes from John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. But that word judgment in the text there, that's not the best word. There. The word there is condemnation. That's what it's talking about. It won't be condemned. It doesn't say it won't be judged. Romans fourteen ten says... We will all stand before God's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us in the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, that's not a very comfortable feeling, is it? To think that everything about our lives are going to is going to be laid bare. All the good and all the bad, all the motives of the heart, uh, all the thoughts, all laid out and exposed. The standard used for this judgment will be the standard of God Himself and His revealed will. Uh, that, that, That He revealed to us by general revelation, that is, just from creation, or from special revelation, that is, from the Word of God. That's why Romans 1 says, everybody in the earth is without excuse to know that God exists because of the, the grandness of creation, and everyone has fallen short of the standard of God, the glory of God, and then each person is going to be judged according to the light they have received. Jesus said in Luke 12, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. The one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have we have so much we've been given we have the Word of God. We have our salvation. We have experienced the grace of God, His cleansing, the redemption. We've been established with Him. We're at home with God. He's welcomed us. From us, much is required, and we must take His Word seriously. And then we have the judgment, the courtroom, the judge, the great white throne with Christ Jesus sitting on it. We also have the dead, small and great, standing there to be judged. And every judgment has three parts. has the evidence has the defense, and then has the verdict, the sentencing that that is coupled with that. Now, let's suppose that the end of time has come, and it's time for resurrection. The trumpet blasts, and the, the skies part, and the Lord descends, and the disembodied who have gone before us are going to be brought back with Jesus, according to what Paul writes in the Thessalonian letter, and then there's going to be a resurrection of those who died as believers first, and then others will follow that. There is a resurrection of both the wicked and the saved, and we read that in Acts 24, 15, where it says there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Verse 11 in our text says, "...the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them." You can't crawl into a grave and cover yourself with dirt and hide from God. You can't think if you're going to be cremated and your uh, ashes spread somewhere that God's not going to find you. He's going to somehow miraculously gather all those ashes together and that we will be before him. We're going to stand before him and a judgment is going to be experienced. Again, we've got a date with deity. Every rock, every cave, every building... Every closet, it's gone. Just you and Jesus, me and Jesus before the judge. And then the evidence. You know, God's keeping books. Some of you are in accounting. You know what it is to keep the books. Or God has books. Books. And he's written down every deed, every thought, every motive, every action. The Bible says everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Any filthy word, any curse word, any gossiping word, any hateful word, anything we have used our tongue for, and set ablaze by the use of our tongue will be exposed. But what about the good stuff? <laughs> you know that too. Matthew twenty-five. Matthew twenty-five makes it clear that he knows when a cup of water is given in his name. He knows when when you've helped clothe a naked person, or to visit when you visit a, a prisoner in prison. He knows when you've fed a hungry person. He he sees all of that, and he records that as well. Nothing is hidden from him. The good and the bad, our best days and our worst days, it's all there. Well, what if your good uh, outweighs the bad? Now, do you even think that's true? (laughs) Maybe it is. Remember, our standard is a holy God, not one another. And the Bible has stated that our best efforts our filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God and who He is. Our best day. And <sighs> that's not even taken to consider all, all the ways I should have obeyed Him more deeply and didn't. You know, that's an that's addition. That's, a, that's another category of wrongdoing by not doing what He's called us to do. And then the defense. It's time for the defense. And what will you say? What will any of us say? Well, Jesus, I just thought it was awfully demanding what you expected of us. Or, or, or God, I, I, I had business to it to, you know, I had a business to run. I just didn't have time to to know you, and to to give my morning to you when I first got up. And, and Lord, I should have given more away. But man, I worked hard for that money, and I had a family to raise. But Lord, I, I I just didn't love her anymore. And I thought I I knew you wanted me to be happy. I thought you did. That's why I walked away. Well, God, Lord, I've always been a I've always had a temper problem. It runs in our family. That's just the way I know I shouldn't have blown up like I did. It just, it's just the way I always was. That's how that's the way I that's the way I was raised up. Lord, I knew, I knew I wasn't a Christian, but I I I, I you know I I <laughs> I I believed in you, or maybe one of us will say, "Yeah, I, I knew he wasn't a Christian, but I didn't know what to say." That's for the that's for the trained people to do that. I I, don't, I know I should have talked to him about you, but I I just didn't. I couldn't. I, uh, I you know God, I'm not much of a reader. You know, I know I should have read the Bible. I just can't concentrate. You know, it's just the way it is, and I. Lord, well, I, you know the government was act, asking for so much of my money, and I, I, I knew I knew I shouldn't have cheated the way I did, but I just I just got ticked off that they took so much of my hard-earned money for themselves, and I left it. You know, you know I, yeah, I know I should have gone to church, but my mom made me go, and it gave a bad taste in my mouth. And so, surely uh, you understand that. Can you imagine a list of things we might try to say? I didn't surrender, Lord. Would we say that because the cross wasn't enough? I assure you that every excuse you and I can possibly think of um, will falter and fail. And you and I will bow our heads and plead the only plea that we can before a righteous God. And it's the blood of Jesus Blood of Jesus. Our sins put him there on the cross. And so the verdict and the sentencing comes. And you'll get a chance to hear the verdict. And we know what it is. We, we know we're guilty. We know we have sinned. Even in our saving state, in our justified state, we still wrestle with sin. We don't, we don't, it doesn't have to be read out loud. We know ourselves. Thankfully, thankfully, praise God, he closes those books, and he opens another book. And that book is the book of life. And he scans down that book of names. You see, in the Roman Empire, if you wanted all the benefits of the kingdom, your name was on the official registry in Rome. They had your name. And if they didn't have your name, you didn't get the benefits of being a Roman citizen. So these first century believers knew everything about the significance of having your name and a book. And today we do as well. This book of life, the Lamb's book of life, a register of all those who have been made aware in this world and this life of our sin and our guilt and our shame, of our, our desperate need for a Savior. Our name's in that book because there was a day when we came to Jesus Christ, we came to awareness of him, and we were baptized into him. We were cleansed by his blood and that water. that We came in contact with the blood of Christ. Our sins were washed away, and we were resurrected to a brand new life. And that's why our applause when someone is baptized seems so pale in comparison to what we should be doing in celebration. Heaven rejoices in that moment how someone is rescued from the judgment of hell. That's sentencing, and they get to be free. The Bible says, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell was not prepared for people. It was prepared for Satan, his angels. But real people go there. Because of their rebellion against God. The psalmist praised God that there was the day of judgment. He said, We praise you, God. We praise you, for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. You say, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who holds its pillars firm. To the arrogant, I say, Boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, and the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Um, may I take an aside just for a moment? Let me remind you, church. That our job is to herald the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. I hear a lot of Christian people and I see posts online on the web that are blasting the world and condemning the world. Listen, that is not our job. Let's learn it well. Jesus himself did not come into this world to condemn the world, John 3, 17 says. But he came so that the world could be saved through him. Let's make that the words of our mouths. Let's make that the framework of our conversation, our speech. Any time we have, we, it is not, the world stands condemned already. They don't need more condemnation. And we're not the ones to exercise it, only one, Jesus Christ, the ultimate job. Let's be heralds of the good news. Let's be people of grace, people of kindness, people of mercy. People are always people who always build relationships. You know, um, you baseball fans know who holds the home run record, Barry Bonds. August 12th, uh, 2007, I think was when he broke Hank Aaron's record. But you know what else came after that? Uh, The suspicion that he used steroids. And so, he's on the books, but there's an asterisk by his name. Maybe, maybe not. It's pretty spurious. You know, in the Lamb's Book of Life... There ought to be an asterisk by every one of our names. (laughs) Because do we really belong there? Of ourselves, no, (laughs) not at all. But when Jesus Christ died for our sins, he took the asterisk away as well. And he sees us as pure and holy children of God, all his. Can you think of a better thing and truth to be thankful about than to celebrate that once we were lost and now we're found, once we were dead and now we're alive, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, to simply say thank you to you seems so lame and weak and small. Oh, Father, I, I thank you that you can read into the depths of our hearts and you know. You know the depth of our gratitude, and I trust that what you see tonight is rich and real and true and right. I pray, Father, that you will continue to see us through and through, that you'll keep exposing all that needs to be exposed so we can be clean before you. And whatever is pure will become purer still. For the sake of Jesus, we thank you, our Father, that we have the privilege of holding a cup of juice and a piece of bread that remind us of the supreme sacrifice paid for us by you, that we might be welcomed into your presence. I thank you, Father. When those books are read, I'm so thankful that what trumps those books is the book, the book of life, provided by you, by your Son, Jesus. May all praise and honor and glory belong to him from us and from all those we will yet seek to see gain entrance into the kingdom of God. We thank you. Amen.